1060 KDUS Tempe Phoenix and KSLX HD2 Scottsdale Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the extra point is good. for you they're pretty cool seats as well all you have to do is download the kdus 1060 app register that's an important component register and you are eligible as that contest is currently ongoing it is thursday it is november 16th bob camp kayla mortellaro here with you up until 1 p.m today as we typically do mondays wednesdays thursdays and fridays let's get things started here with the poll questions and we'll start with the kdus 1060.com poll question you know bob when you and I were talking about this game last week in preparation, looking forward to a Thursday night contest that had some intrigue, is any of the intrigue, uh, or should I say some of the air let out of the balloon a bit because of some injuries to both sides of the Bengals and the Ravens teams? Yeah, it might be. Uh, you know, no T. Higgins tonight uh, for, you know, and Sam Hubbard for the Bengals, even though it looks like you know Hubbard, if this were a Sunday game, he'd be playing for sure this week. But usually we hear that from some, about somebody not being able to play on a Thursday game, and that's been going on for several years. Uh, as far as the Ravens, no Ronnie Stanley and uh, Marlon Humphrey is listed as doubtful, but rarely do the Ravens have a guy, really in the NFL, rarely is a guy listed as doubtful and the guy actually plays. So I don't think we, uh, you know, those are four guys that are pretty well known, uh, even though when we talked with Luke Jones in the last hour from WNST in Baltimore, yeah, Ronnie Stanley's level of play actually when he's been healthy the last couple of years has declined because he just had so many injuries. Absolutely. Um, it's been unfortunate because he is one of those upper echelon offensive linemen. Yeah, he was. And, you know, you know Luke kind of set me straight the last hour, so I won't fall into that trap again. Uh, it's been my bad on that. But uh, he's not the stud left tackle that he used to be. That seems to be the case. Well, when it gets to the poll question here, who do you have tonight? ATS, Bengals plus four, Ravens minus four. The masses continue to be on the Ravens side of things at 60% of the vote. Bengals sitting at 40%. Implications, though, for both teams, uh, because it's an AFC North matchup here, important. That's true. And this number is actually you know, kind of uh, you know, shrunk. Uh, it's three and a half pretty much everywhere in the world right now. Uh, so I... I not exactly sure why that is. The most of that move has happened this morning, and I really you know, I tried to come up with uh, some kind of reason for that and did to try to do some quick research at the top of the hour there, and I struck out. So I'm not exactly sure why, but this number is pretty much three and a half everywhere now. 
We will officially answer the poll question today around 1230, so plenty of time for you to cast your vote. Tossing this on over to Twitter, at KDUS AM 1060, staying in the AFC North. They seem to be full of news and unfortunate injury situations. Does Deshaun Watson season-ending injury mean no postseason for the Browns? Yes, leading the way at 75% of the vote, no trailing at 25%. Yeah, I'll just, uh, for people who missed it yesterday, it's going to be Dorian Thompson-Robinson is the starting quarterback, uh, at least for this week against Pittsburgh and not P.J. Walker. I guess the, the Browns had seen enough of P.J. Walker when they've given him opportunities before. This morning on my way in, I was uh, listening to our KDOS 1060 programming, and they had a guest on from Chicago, or Chicago from um from Cleveland, and he was talking about one thing that really irks Kevin Stefanski is when you do not take care of the football. And P.J. Walker has had, I think, five interceptions to just one touchdown, so the turn, the touchdown-to-turnover ratio, not great for him. Uh, and apparently the prevailing belief here is that they set Dorian Thompson Robinson up to fail with the fact that they yeah. thought Deshaun Watson was going to play in that game that he ended up starting against the Ravens uh, but it was he was such a late scratch so they're feeling more confident in him because he has a week of preparation literally like a half hour late scratch he got hurt and, uh, you know they figured out he couldn't uh, go in that game during the warm-ups and like the second warm-ups not when they come out and run around a little bit before they have to declare the inactives. It was after that. So, you know, that was as late as you can possibly get to being an emergency starter in baseball or something. Uh, kind of the, uh, the equivalent to that in the NFL. And rarely do we see that. Yeah, that's 100% true on, on that front. So, and I mean, like, I think we were even talking about it, like leading into that contest that, oh, Deshaun's back. And then it was a very, right. very late scratch. Well, I remember uh, you know, getting up early that Sunday morning, at least for me, on a Sunday morning, getting up early, and they were already, you know, like an hour before the game, they were talking about what Watson's impact would have in that game, and within a half an hour, he was not playing. As it is, we will answer this question around uh, 1230 as well today. Your phone calls, if you'd like to chime in, 1130 and 1215 today, 602-260-1060 is the number. The Arizona Cardinals find themselves preparing for Sunday's contest in Houston against the Texans. A couple of news items here. The Cardinals did claim running back Michael Carter off of waivers yesterday. Carter previously played with the Jets. Only eight carries for 38 yards for him this season. If you look at what he did last year, 114 carries for 402 yards, three touchdowns and 14 first downs. And his 2021 season, 147 carries, 639 yards, four touchdowns and 29 first downs. Yeah, we just mentioned yesterday, in fact, that you know the seemingly daily waiver wire moves by the Cardinals, is which, which is what they should be doing. They should just be trying to find some players that not only will help them the rest of this season, but maybe be part of the future of this uh, franchise. And, you know, it's not Carter's fault that he's not with the Jets anymore. It's the Jets' fault because they were stupid enough to sign Dalvin Cook, who is completely shot. Uh, We thought he might be done at the end of last year, and we've seen enough this year that he's completely done. And, uh, you know, they actually chose him, and, you know, I guess that they didn't want to embarrass themselves by cutting Cook, but if they wanted to take the guy that's the better player right now, they would have kept Carter. 
I like this move for the Cardinals bringing in Michael Carter. We've seen that he has had past success here with the Jets. Uh, but when you just look at this running back room, we've talked about James Conner, how good he is. There's always been the questions about whether or not you can stay healthy. But then there's a significant drop off here after James Conner. Uh, it looked yeah. as though Amari D. Mercado had an opportunity to kind of slide there into that two spot. But he's been dealing with a toe injury. Uh, so really just trying to find some depth in that running back room. Well, and I don't think I've never fell for the DeMarcado thing. Um, you know, I think he was a nice college player at TCU, etc. But, you know, he got destroyed in pass blocking situations and that kind of got him off the field earlier this season. So, you know, Connor, unfortunately, has never had a season where he's played a full year. And, uh, you know, when he's out there, he's a really impactful player. Uh, but, you know, it's a massive drop-off. They have a professional running back now backing him up. Let's put it that way. I don't think that DeMarcado at this time of his career falls into the professional running back category. I know it's Wednesday injury report, but just names to monitor here. Uh, for the Cardinals, you have Jonathan Ledbetter, shoulder did not practice. Zach Pascal hamstring did not practice. He left Sunday's contest uh, early with that hamstring injury. Tristan Colon, calf limited. Amari Mercado toe limited. DJ Humphreys did not play in Sunday's contest. Ankle, he was limited Wednesday. Jesse Lucetta, ankle limited. Kevin Strong, knee limited. And Zeke Turner, hamstring limited for the Texans the injury report was quite lengthy so just going to provide some notables here to pay attention to Noah Brown wide receiver with a knee did not practice Damian Pierce running back ankle did not practice Laramie Tunsil offensive tackle knee did not practice Jimmy Ward's safety hamstring did not practice he also didn't play last week Robert Woods wide receiver foot did not practice Will Anderson uh, defensive end knee did not practice Nico Collins improvement here wide receiver calf limited yeah, I think that Collins is the big one there. Um, he's been an impact player for them this year. Uh, didn't play last week, and uh, the fact that he's gone from being not, not playing on Sunday to limited on a Wednesday, I think that's certainly usually a step up. So we'll see how that goes. You know, as you mentioned, it is a Wednesday, and nobody thinks less of these Wednesday practice reports than me. Uh, but you know, the thing that gets my attention though is. The one thing that does, you know, from Wednesday practice reports, if you got a guy that's not even either on the practice report or limited uh, participant on a Wednesday and it gets worse on a Thursday or a Friday, that gets my attention. Head coach Jonathan Gannon, quarterback Kyler Murray met the media yesterday. Some of the takeaways from their press conference. We'll start with head coach Jonathan Gannon. He was asked about uh, treating C.J. Stroud as a rookie, and he says he doesn't look like a rookie out there. Processes extremely fast, very accurate, quick release. They are top one or two in explosive passes in the NFL right now. Explosives come on all downs, mixed downs, third and known downs. He's doing a really good job that's why they're above 500 right in the playoff hunt playing good football right now some numbers to back this up and then Uh, i'll let you go cj stroud 7.8 average completed air yards 3.04 seconds time to throw 15 touchdowns and just two interceptions and it's been a combination of the air yards thing that you talked about but they've also got a lot of yards after the catch from some guys especially when dell's out there and he hasn't played every game this year, so that's kind of a, you know, kind of hard to break that down. 
uh, but uh, they've been much more effective in that area when Tank Dell, who is the uh, you know smallish rookie from Houston, uh, you know, he's uh, you know definitely a run after the catch guy. And he, well, it's not, and he's caught some balls down the field too. So yeah, I'm not surprised. You know, Stroud's very accurate as I've talked about for you know three years running now, if you count his last couple of years at Ohio State. And uh, you know, this is the San Francisco offense, remember. Uh, so, you know, part of their offense is hitting guys in stride and letting them you know, get yards after the catch. And Dell's the guy that seems to excel in that area. Uh, what does Jonathan Gannon see from the Texans' defense? He says fast, physical, and the word that you've noticed recently, Bob, violent. In my opinion, a really good back end with Peachtree and Jimmy Ward and Stingley is back, Steve Nelson. This scheme, D'Amico, obviously doing a really good job in San Fran coming over there. You see it show up. The scheme is extremely uh, sound. They don't give up a lot of air. There is not a lot of catch and run. They fit the run very sound. They tackle well. They play fast in their technique, and they are fundamentally very sound and make you earn everything. Yeah, I, I don't have much knowledge on the Texas defense. Quite frankly, I've—I uh, don't think I've watched one Texas game, Texans game from start to finish. Uh, it's been highlights, and most of the highlights have been from the offensive side. So opponents convert 41.94% of their third downs. They give up 246.4 yards per game through the air and 93.6 yards per game on the ground. Some of the names that stick out in the ESPN uh, pass rush win rate when it comes to the edge rushers, Will Anderson here, he pops. Uh, he wins at 26% of the time. He's double teamed 22% of the time. That ranks third. Jonathan Greenard, 22% pass rush win rate. He's double teamed 19% of the time. That ranks 13th on this list. When it comes to the defensive tackles, pass rush win rate, Sheldon Rankins wins at 19% of the time. He's double teamed 60% of the time, and that ranks fourth. And Malik Collins wins at 14% of the time. He's double teamed 62%, and that ranks 13th. So they pop in those areas. Yeah, Rankins is the one guy that kind of gets, catches my attention because you know, he's been a good player. He's unfortunately been injured in some of his other stops. Uh, so, But uh, he's a, he, when he's healthy, he's definitely uh, somebody that the offense has to pay attention to and make sure he doesn't wreck the game. We'll pause there on takeaways from head coach Jonathan Gannon and more to come from him. Uh, that was for the Texans portion of things. We'll flip this internally to the Cardinals. We'll also hear a few things uh, from Kyler Murray as well. Once again, we'll take your calls today around 1130 and 1215-602-260-1060. Cardinals, NFL News. You, of course, have uh, the standings from the Cy Young Awards yesterday. You have the Phoenix Suns getting a victory. No big three, though. Uh, but Devin Booker was back in the Suns beating the Timberwolves last night. Plenty to discuss if you'd like to that'll take place around 11 30 and 12 15 the number 602 260 1060 but more from head coach jonathan gannon quarterback kyler murray next here in the extra point Tune in weekdays to the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp from 9 to 10 a.m. on KTUS AM 1060, KTUS1060.com, and with the KTUS 1060 app.
11.22 right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you. Takeaways from head coach Jonathan Gannon and quarterback Kyler Murray yesterday as they met the media. The Cardinals coming off of a win in Kyler Murray's debut, preparing themselves to face the Texans on Sunday in Houston. So yesterday uh, we had dissected things from offensive coordinator Drew Petzing as well as defensive coordinator Nick Rollis. And one of the questions to Nick Rollis was about player development. Well, that same question came Jonathan Gannon's way yesterday. Uh, So he was asked, how does Gannon approach player development? He said, yeah, every day we talk about player development in five buckets. I said that can't go away once the season starts in all five buckets. They have the resources that they need, and the staff has done a really good job with that, helping those guys out. And I'm really pleased with where our guys are at as far as developing their game as the season went on. I really wish there was a follow-up question to this, though, because I want to know what the five buckets are. I have to imagine that that's five different areas of, of, you know, concern or, uh, you know, five different areas that he really believes in. So I want to know what those are. Well, I kind of wonder when I hear the five buckets thing is, you know, does this guy have a chance to help us in future years? Uh, I'll, I'll narrow the five buckets down to two. That would be one bucket. The other bucket is we're wasting our time on this dude. But I do think it's interesting because there's always a combination of gelling as the season goes on. I mean, uh, you know, you you always used to hear, you know, Tom Brady saying that we'll know who we are by November just because you're kind of you've you've got the offense in place, everything's kind of clicking and rolling, you've been together, so there's some continuity there, you've had some injuries, etc. You're you're weathering those storms, but also I think there's a huge area here about that player development and it doesn't necessarily have to be just about uh rookies. Uh it can be veterans as well within the system and it's how your coaching them to see things to make those reads quicker technique better so you're tackling uh so guys are not getting the run after the catch guys aren't getting you know a five-yard gain they're getting a three-yard gain a two-yard gain instead and all of that accumulatively adds up so it's definitely an important part throughout the season i think that matters for good teams the cardinals you know let's not get too excited i'm not getting too excited they won a game uh, I don't think they're going to win more than a couple of games the rest of the season, uh, no matter what, whether Murray's you know, as good as he was last week or not. They're just not a good team. And, you know, developing players when you only have a handful of players on this roster that have a chance to be really good long-term players in this league, I don't think that player development is very much a big deal here. They're just trying to, as I mentioned in the bucket thing, you know, can this guy actually help us in the future or this guy's just we're just kind of wasting our time here then you know the fact that they flip the roster you know three or four players literally every week they're just searching for a few guys that might be able to help in the future but you know, the, you know making a difference this season they don't have many guys that fall into that category 
you know, I don't necessarily disagree there. So when you're looking at, you know, veterans versus rookies, I think maybe that player development bucket could be more for the rookies here. Uh, we talked about how uh, this draft class and who some of the players are that have flashed, who have been the high draft picks and what we expect uh, to see as the season goes on and as the, the years go by and how those draft picks are going to turn out. One of those players, though, uh, is, you know, their first round draft draft pick offensive lineman right tackle Paris Johnson Jr. Uh, Jonathan Gannon was asked what his has Paris Johnson Jr. met expectations so far and he said yeah he's playing well started every game playing a premier position I think he continues to get better week to week and that's not just on game day too that's looking at the whole scope of practice fundamentals his process how he's going about it how he's studying he's found his sweet spot how he likes to watch tape now and the sky is the limit. Well, they need him because, you know, they used a first-round draft pick on him and traded up to get him, so he better be good. Um, I'm not completely sold on him, but I was not completely sold on him when they drafted him out of Ohio State and was shocked uh, after watching him play literally every game at Ohio State that he played there. I was shocked that he was that highly thought of. I understand he's a big dude. He's versatile. He played a bunch of different positions at Ohio State in the offensive line. But I was really surprised that he got that much uh, early draft attention in the NFL. Uh, when it comes to Jonathan Gannon's perception of how did Kyler Murray handle the blitz and the pressure on Sunday, he said really well there was no panic in his game. I didn't think he was jittery in the pocket at all, and he made some people miss too when they were bringing five. So I thought he did well. Yeah, but they almost never brought five. It was almost always four, you know, actually three sometimes. Uh, so, you know, it was the line stunts that, were the, that most of the time when Murray had to move out of the pocket, it was, uh, you know, the stunning of the uh, the defensive linemen, the, you know, the three or four guys that were out there, mainly four guys, if there were stunts. Uh, so I don't know how much blitzing there actually was. It didn't seem to, to me, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think there was that much blitzing at all by the Falcons. Takeaways from quarterback Kyler Murray, you know, we had talked a lot about before he played on Sunday was how is he going to look? How is he going to be mentally? Is there going to be anything in regards to the knee? Uh, I think all of those questions were certainly answered in a variety of different ways from him. One thing that we didn't necessarily talk about on Monday, though, was how is he going to feel after he plays in a game? This is now going to be at a much faster speed. Uh, he's actually taking hits now. Uh, it's not just practice so how did he feel physically after the game he said pretty good I've practiced but there is nothing like a game to be able to kind of try to anticipate how I'm going to feel that was kind of big for me to see how I would feel after the game little sore but I feel good okay Good and, to hear. And certainly as someone who has had different surgeries and injuries and rehab process uh, you know there's several different hurdles you have to get over and being able to complete that first hurdle, but then in the recovery process after you uh, accomplish your feat, that's a whole other hurdle too. How does it respond? How are you going to have to continue to or enhance some of the things that you do in your recovery process to help whatever has been surgically repaired? But good news there that he feels pretty good after experiencing game number one. Uh, what do you expect from yourself moving forward was another question that caught my attention. Just trying to get better each week 
week. Thought I started off solid, some misses here and there that obviously we'd love to have back. But for a first game back, I felt comfortable out there, didn't feel sped up or anything like that. So it was good to be back in the mix. Yeah, once again, that kind of, you know, make, I'm not sure how I'm supposed to react to that. So, you know, good for him again. I guess I'll stick with my good for him thing. How is the new scheme going to allow you to do what you do best? And he says, I just think I can go into the game just trusting it, allowing myself to be me. If it's like the superhero plays, they just happen. It's not forced. It's just play within the system. Obviously do what we are coached to do. We're taught. And if something breaks down, do what needs to be done to make something happen. But other than that, I think we are being coached well. I love the scheme. I love what we're doing. And the attention to detail to it all is really what I love the most. Okay, uh, good for him, and what's he supposed to say? Are you a different person, teammate, after going through all of this was another question about the rehab process here, and he says, I think I'm a different person. I think so. I think just some things happen to you that you can't really control that either elevates you or brings you down, but I think this is one of those things, like I said, everything happens for a reason. I think this is for the better, not only for me, but I think for everyone. A lot of people keep saying he's a better leader now. I don't want to get into it too much, but the light is different right now. People around me, teammates, it's everybody it's just different energy i have no way of knowing whether he's a better leader or not so um, once again i'll just kind of defer i think you can tell um a little bit from his press conferences that he has a different perspective on things he's still obviously a very confident person in his abilities and his playmaking abilities and what he knows he can do and can't do uh but i think i have noticed just a little bit of a difference in kyler and how he approaches at least us in the media in some of his responses so far and some of the limited interactions that we have had uh, another question that caught my attention do you sense any rust he says i kept asking how does it look how does it look it didn't feel rusty i didn't feel as far as getting out there obviously we go three and out but i didn't know what to really expect i felt good throughout this whole process got out there and just kind of see where it goes i felt good i felt confident i'll let you be the judge but i felt solid and finally here his thoughts on communication with drew petzing during the game offensive coordinator and play caller it was great obviously a different voice than i'm used to but he was great the communication was solid the attention to detail with him is major and for me i love it because he's always got a reason for why what we're doing he always has an answer for any question that we have about the only thing i can really offer out of all this murray stuff is that you know they won he was heroic. I mean, and I'll use that word lightly. I mean, he's one of the reasons they won. Uh, you know, as I've said many times here in the last couple of weeks, since we knew he was coming back soon, I really admire him and professional athletes that come back from a, an injury that he had, and especially somebody that depends on his mobility as he does. Uh, and I'm all for that. However, uh, let's see if he's so uh, if he's you know so much different and. You know, the leadership thing and whatever else we're talking about here after he either isn't good in the game or they lose a couple of games. What's what happens then? Certainly. Those are things to absolutely monitor. I mean, there's been much talked about with sideline behavior, uh, much talked about with how you kind of corral the guys with you to, to get back out there after a discouraging series. So there's plenty to to absolutely continue to monitor uh, for for the rest of yeah. the season from him.
I mean, we've gone for, this is a happy, happy, joy, joy thing still we got going on here. We went from unsure last week to happy, happy, joy, joy, uh, happy, 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 joy, joy. Let, let's see what happens when there's some adversity and what we think of him and how the game goes and how he deals, deals with that in the following week because the questions are going to get much tougher if they don't do well as opposed to, oh, my God, he looked great. And uh, so I think that uh, they will have a better, at least I will, have a little better judge of, uh, you know, if he is different. Because, you know, I think standoffish is a word that we could use for his career. Uh, a lot with the media and so forth, even when things were going okay early in uh, a couple of seasons that they had. 602-260-1060 is the number if you'd like to chime in. The Arizona Cardinals meeting uh, the Houston Texans. That draft pick that we all kind of maybe penciled in lightly with like top 10 might not actually be a top 10 pick coming to the Cardinals from the Texans. Uh, But if you'd like to chime in on that, the Phoenix Suns will also get into Major League Baseball, some various different news, Cy Young Award winners from yesterday. We'll touch on that on the other side of the break, plus your phone call, 602-260-1060 is the number. It is the Extra Point here on KDUS AM 1060. We'll do what's best for the team, and we'll do what's best for you. The Rich Eisen Show, coming to you weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Here on KDUS AM 1060 and KDUS1060.com. on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app. 602-260-1060 is the number if you'd like to join the program. So yesterday, the Cy Young winners were announced. Garrett Cole was the unanimous selection for the American League Cy Young Award. It was Cole's first Cy Young Award. He finished second in 2019 behind Justin Verlander, and he finished second in 2021 behind Robbie Ray. It it also ends up being the first Yankees pitcher to win a Cy Young since Roger Clemens did back in 2001. For Cole on the season, though, 33 starts, 2.63 ERA, 209 innings, 222 strikeouts, 48 walks, two complete game shutouts, and he averaged six and a third innings pitched. Yeah, the biggest thing for me is he had by far the most uh, quality starts of any pitcher in Major League Baseball. And uh, so, you know, not surprising that, uh, that, well, maybe I'm always surprised when it's unanimous because it seems like there's some idiot out there that doesn't make it unanimous and wants to either just be stupid and vote for somebody else or just get some attention and vote for somebody else and we can all find out well who didn't vote for that guy uh so you know he was by far the best pitcher in the really in baseball because the national league thing it was because they kind of took whoever none of nobody in the national league actually deserved the Cy Young award 
Yeah, I know you had been talking about Garrett Cole, you know, all season long, and it, he didn't he didn't pitch on a team with the Yankees that obviously made, didn't they didn't make the playoffs um, and struggled mightily throughout most of the season here. But every time it was his start, uh, he pitched really well. Most of the time, he certainly did, and yeah, when he didn't, people bashed him. But yeah, I think a lot of people don't like him because he got the big contract. And he's actually really lived up to the big contract. I know he had the one year, especially in the postseason, that where he was clearly injured and lost to Boston, and people you know, got on him and Brian Cashman and what a stupid contract that was and didn't recognize the obvious fact that he was injured at the end of the regular season and pitching in the playoffs when he probably shouldn't have. Uh, then for the National League Cy Young Award here, it ended up going to Blake Snell. He received 28 of the 30 votes. Logan Webb received one. Zach Gallen f- received one vote as well. For Snell, he led Major League Baseball in ERA with 2.25, 31 starts, 180 innings pitched, 234 strikeouts, 99 walks. He averaged Five point uh, uh, five and two thirds innings pitched, I should say. It's his second Cy Young Award. He won one in 2018 uh, when he was with the Tampa Bay Rays. The fact that he almost had 100 walks and didn't even average six innings per start, it's a joke that anybody with those credentials wins a Cy Young Award. But like I said, I don't know. They, they should have had no votes for the Cy Young Award this year in the National League. They shouldn't have had an award. We'll just give out two next year or something or whatever. Uh, but, I mean, it was nobody was or- worthy of a, quote, Cy Young Award from the National League this year. He is a free agent here with the Padres, and they have, you know, we discussed a little bit about the Padres yesterday. Uh, if you're a contending team, though, a starting pitcher away, uh, do you want him on your roster? Good question. I've never been the biggest uh, you know, Blake Snell fan because he just uh, doesn't pitch uh, consistently enough. Even this year, he had some uh, very bad starts. And um, if I were, if I thought he were like the last piece, I guess so. But you have to pay for him, and I would never do that. When it comes to teams having to make decisions about where they're going in hiring their next manager. Uh, the Astros ended up hiring Joe Espada, longtime bench coach. The Brewers hired former ASU coach Pat Murphy, promoted him from being bench coach, and the Mets hired Yankees bench coach Carlos Mendoza. A bit of a theme here with all these different bench coaches, but first, before I ask you my bench coach question, uh, what do you think about the hash- Astros here going with Joe Espada? It didn't seem like this was my – well, they did interview other – at least they interviewed Ron Washington. I assume they interviewed other people. Uh, you know, I don't really know, to be honest, but it seemed like it was just kind of a obvious choice if they weren't going to go outside that they just uh, you know, promote him. And do you like Pat Murphy here uh, being promoted to be the next Milwaukee Brewers manager? Somebody has to be the manager there. They basically said we're trashing the season. Turns out that Craig Council ended up getting two and a half more million, two and a half million dollars per year more, uh, and went to the Cubs than what the Brewers offered. Obviously, the Brewers lowballed him, and it didn't really ever intend to keep him. Apparently, uh, now there's you know the fact talk that you know Corbin Burns is going to be traded this off season, and you know they've already made a couple of trades for position players. Uh, they did that even before Council officially left. So, yeah, the Brewers have gone from playoff team to maybe the worst team in the NL Central next year. 
Now, my question here about bench coaches. Do you think being a bench coach is important to success to become a manager? Um, don't know. Um, I don't want to say yes or no, quite frankly, because I'm sure somebody, if I get this wrong, will come up with a, well, there's this bench coach model and these guys have done this or whatever. I don't know of a model that you know, tells you that a guy is going to be a successful major league manager because he was a bench coach. I don't know one way or the other uh, is how that would, how that actually has gone. So I have, I don't, I don't know. Uh, some other Major League Baseball news here. Uh, it has been unanimously approved that the Oakland A's can move to Las Vegas. So uh, one, Major League Baseball now in the Vegas market. Two, Vegas in the last several years uh, have certainly expanded here with professional sports teams in Vegas. Yeah, when I lived there from 1988 through 1994, it seemed like that that would never happen. Um, so because of the gambling thing, but yeah, the fact that gambling has become much more uh, sports gambling, I should say, narrow it down to sports gambling has become, uh, I would never say, I don't think it's mainstream, but become much more of the, uh, in the public eye, I think has changed the, uh, the opinion of professional sports and invading Las Vegas. And another Major League Baseball note here, uh, it looks like for 2024, they are actually planning to have the pitch clock go down to 18 seconds with runners on base. It's currently 20 seconds with runners on base. The overall thought process here is that they want to keep games closer to two hours and 30 minutes so that two seconds could help with that. Games also kind of started to bog down uh, when they were looking at the data at the back half of the season. Well, they know that much more than I. I mean, I, it's just you know, it's a whole different game. They've done a. It's you can't even argue the fact that they obviously they're they're the rules that they incorporated before the start of last season that had to do with pitch clocks and and everything else in baseball as far as throws to first base, etc. They all made the game a more pleasurable experience to watch and. Yeah, you know, some of us are going to watch no matter what, but you know, I think that is certainly, you know, the television ratings certainly were reflected on this locally, most local markets, and also certainly nationally, that it was a much more watchable product. And, you know, it was kind of only the hardcore old people, raising my hand now, uh, that have watched baseball their whole lives. Uh, they needed to get the other people involved, you know, or at least more fans involved. And that's certainly, I don't think there's any question that that made a difference last year. So if they think this is a good idea, no problem. Because uh, they're, they've done a good job with uh, pretty much all of this uh, in the last few years, quite frankly. Yeah. Uh, I, I think definitely speeding up the game certainly is at least the hope is, is it's going to draw in uh, a younger audience. Uh, you're going to be able to keep people more engaged throughout the, the contest itself to have uh, the games going at a faster clip. I'm curious, though, uh, you know, it's just it, it, this is just two seconds. But I guess the difference between uh, runners on when you kind of had however long you wanted to go and then implementing this rule this year, what maybe pitchers thought from a mental side of things? Because 
sometimes when runners are on base, it's because you're not pitching well that they're on base. So you're certainly in a bit of a jam. So that takes a little bit more of a mental process to try to get your pitches right, to, to think through how you're going to handle the situation. And if you feel like you're, you know, in a in a stressful environment, you kind of speed up sometimes. And now if you have this pitch clock thing, if you just feel a little bit more rushed and you get out of rhythm, I'm just kind of curious how that evolved this season for pitchers to get adjusted and acclimated to that. Um, not, I think it's an excellent point. I don't have an answer to that excellent point because I'm not a pitcher. <laughs> so, And I really didn't hear many guys other than Max Scherzer uh, talk about that during the season, but Max seemed to have a problem with everything that uh, Major League Baseball changed before last season. Yes, he did seem to have an opinion about absolutely everything. I'm just wondering if maybe as well that I'm looking at it too analytically or too uh, from a mental standpoint and pitchers are like, hey, no, we don't even think about that. We just rear back and throw it. Oh, they don't do that. <laughs> Uh, you know, there's, there's, you know, the fact that they also had pitch com, that was as big a deal as the pitch clock itself. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the combination thereof, that made a huge difference last year too. Pitchcom was interesting and it felt like during the, uh, the playoffs, there were certainly many times pitch clock calm for the Diamondbacks, like stopped working. <laughs> well, part of the reason is because the crowds were much bigger, not just for the Diamondbacks, but other teams too. And, you know, the, Fans get a little more excited during a postseason game, and uh, there were a lot of problems with them hearing the pitch, the pitch comm thing. That was a part of the problem for the pitchers. We wrap up hour number one of the Extra Point on this Thursday, November 16th, right here on KDOS AM 1060, online at KDOS1060.com, and with the KDOS 1060 app. One more to go in hour one next. Now time in your afternoon for the Doug Gottlieb Show right here on KDUS AM 1060, 100.7 HD2, and KDUS1060.com. Weekdays from 1 to 3 p.m. November 16th, Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you up until one o'clock today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Some random NFL news to get into. If we don't finish all of it, we'll certainly dive back into it in hour number two. But uh, it looks like for the Carolina Panthers, head coach Frank Reich, He's back to calling plays for the offense after offensive coordinator Thomas Brown had his turn for a couple of weeks. Frank Reich is back at the helm. Uh, when you look at Bryce Young, though, according to Next Gen Stats, he averages 4.4 completed air yards. It's eight, eight touchdowns, seven interceptions, 62.8% completion percentage. I was looking into his spray chart from week 10, and he just had 17 completions either behind the line of scrimmage or less than 10 yards downfield and only four completions, 10 plus yards downfield. Well, I don't care if he's three foot four or seven foot five. Uh, if you have a bad offensive line, it doesn't matter. 
Uh, he has no chance. I'm not the biggest Bryce Young fan, and I can you know, dispute it as to why he was going to be the first. You know, I didn't. I couldn't believe he was the first pick of the draft, quite frankly. Uh, but you know, he's got no chance, uh, and I don't think any quarterback would have much of a chance to do anything behind this O line. Yeah, and we've certainly talked about their their situation with offensive line, uh, wide receivers as well, uh, just guys that can naturally get open versus, you know, quote-unquote being schemed open, et cetera here. So there's not really uh, the same situation that C.J. Stroud was able to walk into here. Uh, but for- well, but Stroud's been missing his offensive line the whole year almost. So, I mean, yeah, it's not like everything's been perfect for him. Uh, but when it comes to to Bryce Young here, though, with all the different, uh, you know, things that are going on around him, I don't know if switching back to Frank Reich is really going to be the answer to their their problems. Well, there's no answer to their problems because their roster sucks. Uh, but yeah, as far as, you know, Frank Reich clearly just looks statistically, uh, Adam Thielen was a really good player. And he was still calling the plays, and then they removed that for, was it one game or two games tops with the uh, the new play caller? That Adam Thiele was, like, missing in action and visible in those two games. So I'd assume that uh, fantasy owners out there are very enthused that uh, Reich is calling the plays again, and they can get Adam Thielen back in their lineup and not be burned. Uh Speaking of the Texans, Denzel Perryman had his suspension reduced from three games to two games, but he will still miss Sunday's contest uh, against the Cardinals. Yeah, as I mentioned earlier, I, I, I should know more about the Texans defense than I do, but I, you know, sorry about that. I haven't watched them play really any game this year. And uh, he, he's been a good player in the league before. He was a really good player in college. Uh, so we'll find out more about the Texans tomorrow in the uh, – 10:15 segment of the sports zone then those will be part of the i got a lot of questions because i don't know as much about the texans as i should for a team that's above 500 our number two is coming up on the other side of the break we'll get into more nfl discussion we'll also dive into the phoenix suns the anticipated big three debut put on hold bradley beal was ruled no way to guess. Bradley Beal was ruled out late uh, before the start of that game with some back spasms. We'll dive into the Suns a little bit uh, to get started in hour number two. It's happening next. Next.